The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So often in our um, meditation practice, we focus on kind of dropping below the level of concepts and supporting concentration in our meditation. And yet there's a whole area of practice, a whole area of exploring the Buddhist path that includes and incorporates uh, reflection and um, thinking about how we, how we are in the world, how we live our lives. When I reflect on the Eightfold Path, reflect on the, te- the Buddhist teaching on uh, how to walk this path of Dharma, I remember and recollect that a good chunk of it is relational. The, uh, the area in the middle where it's exploring our connection with other people, the aspect of wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood. And the intentions that support that movement are also a part of connecting us relationally to the world. The intentions the Buddha suggests for the uh, the second aspect of the Eightfold Path, wise intention, are intentions of kindness and compassion, as well as renunciation. And so what I'd like to explore tonight is a little bit about this area of intention. And not, not so much at the detailed level or moment-to-moment level, but at the larger level in our lives. What are the intentions with which we live in the world I think this is a really useful question for us in these days, in this climate, in our country, to look at how we want to engage, how we want to show up with our fellow human beings. And so I'd like to explore this from two levels. One, the kind of, maybe the, the higher level or the the overarching level of what is what is our our wish for how we want to move in the world what is our, essentially our deepest wish our deepest aspiration what is it that motivates us how do we want to be at our at our core we can explore this through through reflection. And I think this is a big area, actually, uh, that the Buddha taught about, is using reflection, not just, not just about like dropping below the level of concept, but actually connecting to concepts, to meaning, to purpose. What is our deepest purpose? What is a purpose that we connect with, that our heart kind of opens to or, or wants to head in that direction. I think many of us in living our lives, we lose touch with this sense of a deeper purpose or a deeper aspiration. 
And in that losing touch, we may feel kind of um, an emptiness or a sense of, is this all there is to life, this getting up and making my breakfast and going to work and earning money and then buying my food and then going to bed and then getting up and then spending money to buy food, going to work to make money and just doing that on and on until we die. And is that the, is that, is that the point of life? And um, I think there's some place in us that feels the emptiness of just living in that way. And so I found it interesting and uh, supportive for my, for my life and my direction to actually take some time to reflect on what makes my heart sing? What makes my heart want to show up in the world? So taking maybe just a few moments now to, to reflect on that. What, what is it that you wish for? How do you wish to show up in the world? What are you most inspired by? There's different sides to this kind of reflection. Some of it might be kind of like, you know, sometimes we might reflect on what, what, what feels most deeply uh, meaningful to us and it might mean be something like to be loved or to love or uh, to belong. Or it might be um, to be of service or to be happy. And there are different ways. I think it, it's useful to uh, to reflect on, you know, what it is that we like, kind of most connect with, where where our heart kind of wants to head, and maybe drop below the. If there's if if what comes up for you is wanting to accomplish something or do something, like I'd like to uh, accomplish this thing or that thing. Seeing if you can drop below the actual accomplishment to what is it, it is that connects you to that. What, what might be the deeper underlying motivation or intention that would connect you to that wish to do that thing? As we reflect on this kind of aspiration we think about these kinds of aspirations, there's different, different ways that we might show up for something like, for instance, a wish to be happy. The wish to be happy is a deeply wholesome wish. It reflects the wish that we all have for our own well-being which is connected to the quality of metta, of loving kindness. And so at its kind of core, at its deepest level, that wish to be happy or perhaps a wish to belong connects to uh, an underlying um, 
connection with that wish for well-being, the wish for metta for ourselves and perhaps for others. And yet so, so often those, uh, those wishes, they get misunderstood or misinterpreted because of our culture, because of the ways our society um, encourages us to find happiness by getting, having more and more things, by getting what we think we want. And so, again, we're, I think, asked to um, you know, look at the, um, the wishes, connecting with the deepest place of those wishes. And then perhaps exploring not just the surface level of those wishes, like what's the fastest way to find my way to that wish, but maybe what is the truest way to connect with that aspiration. And so a useful, uh, it can be useful to reflect on this kind of, of deep aspiration. We may begin to see as we kind of orient to a kind of a deeper level of a wish for our lives, a purpose, a deeper purpose perhaps for our lives. We may see that the ordinary ways that we engage with what we're doing may not seem on the surface to connect with that deeper intention. And that, I think, is one of the places of disconnect in our lives. That we... um, have this urge or this wish for a, a sense of connection with a, a deeper purpose, a deeper aspiration, a direction to be of service perhaps. And yet it feels like our day-to-day activities aren't connecting with that. And so we might feel that sense of emptiness And so what I'd like to encourage is a a reflection, not necessarily on, okay, I've connected, I found something, a deeper wish here. How can I completely change my life so that I can come into alignment with that wish, with that aspiration? But rather to look at ways in which we can connect the life that we are living to that aspiration. Because there are ways Many times there are ways to, to do that. So, you know, some, some s- simple examples, for instance. You know, just the, the, the way we have to take care of ourselves in our life, you know, going to the grocery store and buying food. How might that connect to a deeper wish of perhaps being um, kind in the world or being of service. A deeper aspiration to not act from greed or aversion. How might, how might that be connected 
What, what might we do? And so, you know, as we go to the store, there's the kind of ostensible purpose of buying food and, and bringing it home. And, and that may be what our, what our intention is as we, as we go to the store. We may be focused on that side of it and missing that there are many ways to engage in the store that might connect us to a deeper purpose. And so I'd like to encourage you to reflect on this kind of thing. This is a, this is a, a, a way through reflection to bring our, our Dharma life alive in our everyday activities. And so we might, for instance, um, explore kindness with everyone that we meet. Or perhaps a friendliness of, of, of exploring a smile. This was, this was a practice I did for a, a chunk of time where uh, I, with, with, uh, when I took my walks, when I went in the store, I would just practice smiling to, with people. I wouldn't force a smile on them. But, you know, if, if, uh, if they made eye contact with me, I would smile. This had a huge impact on my experience. I mean, it it made me feel good actually to smile. But then, more often than not, I got a smile in return. And that, that was like repayment many times over for offering the smile. It was pretty cool actually. That as I smiled at someone and got a smile back, if I was present for that. And, and the other beneficial piece about this is this, this kind of practice asks us to be present. It's asking us to be here for, for the simple activities of life. Engaging with our fellow human beings with kindness, with care. And as I was present for that smile and present for the smile in return, it was like getting waves of delight through my being. Now, in this kind of a practice, like we might um, explore, you know, offering, offering kindness to the, the, the cashier. You know, just a simple hello. It doesn't have to be a deep, soulful gaze into the eyes of the cashier. But <laughs> just a kind, a kind word. Uh, how are you today? You know, a friendliness in, in connecting with that. Now, it might not be that you feel a kindness. It might not be that you really feel it to start with. But this kind of a practice of connecting with kind of how can I connect these simple actions to deeper intentions? And and this intention of kindness is one of the intentions the Buddha encourages us in the in the factor of wise intention in the Eightfold Path. He encourages us to live with kindness and this kind of exploration of intention, choosing to act from kindness, even if we might not feel a connection, even if we might be inwardly feeling a little bit rushed or a little bit hurried or a little bit annoyed, if we can connect with an intention, the intention to engage with kindness, there's an interesting thing that happens. We... we we find we may find and i found this certainly in my own practice that when even if i'm not feeling something not feeling kindness or not feeling patience if i uh, engage as though 
I were patient. Kind of like, fake it till you make it. Something like that, you know. Um, With the intention not to repress anything that I might be feeling. This is a big piece of this kind of a practice. So not to repress any kind of, of... hurriedness or restlessness that I might be feeling. But fully acknowledge that, yeah, I'm feeling restless and I'm going to see if I can allow, not allow that restlessness to leak out of my system and instead offer a smile and a friendly word to this person. Slow down my actions so that she doesn't feel like I'm rushing her or he doesn't feel like I'm rushing him. Just this kind of, this kind of, you know, Engagement with the intention to convey kindness. What I've seen happening in this, when I engage this way, even if I'm feeling kind of rushed or hurried, is I find that that intention to act in that way, coupled with the action, has a very strong rebound effect on the mind. It begins to create a feeling of kindness when that kind of practice is repeated. That's, that's what happened for me with the smiles as well. It started as being feeling a little bit fake, almost. But very quickly in engaging with this, it was a genuine smile. I mean, the in, again, the intention, the intention... It's helpful to connect with that intention, the intention to be friendly, even if I don't feel friendly. And so this is a powerful way that intention functions in our mind. If we have an intention and we act from that intention, even if we're not necessarily feeling it, this supports the mind moving in that direction. This is actually the underlying Um, mechanism, I guess, behind the practice of loving-kindness. The cultivation of loving-kindness that we connect with an intention of well-wishing for oneself or another. May I be happy? We may not feel that happiness in the moment of expressing that wish, But we're trying to connect with the intention. And expressing that wish is kind of, it's kind of greasing the skids in that direction. Expressing that wish over and over again begins to open the heart more in that direction. And so this is the way intention works. Maybe we don't feel it, but we explore expressing thoughts, expressing actions that reflect that inner intention. And what we find is that as we move our mind in that direction, the mind begins to incline in that direction. The Buddha has a a kind of, there's a famous kind of quote from the Buddha that says, whatever one frequently ponders, that becomes the inclination of the mind. If we frequently ponder or think about thoughts of ill will, of cruelty, of sense desire, that's the direction our mind will go. If we intentionally and frequently ponder thoughts of kindness, of compassion, of letting go, 
That's the direction the mind begins to incline to. And these, these intentions, these actions, it's not only the, the thoughts, but also we can incline our minds in that direction through actions, through engaging in that way. And so consciously you know, looking at our deeper aspiration, our deeper intention, and reflecting on what we do during the day. You know, the, the ostensible purpose of going to a job is to make money, to accomplish some task. But is there a way to connect that everyday mundane activity with something related to your deeper aspiration? This could be a kind of a morning reflection that each morning, you know, I would encourage you to take some time to reflect on a deeper intention, a deeper aspiration. What is it that you feel makes your heart want to sing? What is it that makes you feel like this is the direction you'd like your life to go? And instead of thinking that I have to change my whole life, it's like begin to shape your life to connect what you are already doing to that deeper aspiration. This is possible in many ways because the simplicity of the intentions of kindness, of compassion, can infuse all of our interactions, no matter where we are. Our our intention of non-harming, these simple intentions the Buddha pointed us to in the teaching on wise intention. Engaging in ways that don't create stress, that don't create suffering for others. So you might take some time during the day and reflect on, okay, what are the things I'm going to do today? Okay, I'm going to take a a walk with a friend or I need to, um, you know, do this, uh, write this email to this person or I need to... um, sit down and look at my calendar for what I need to do in the next few months, you know. So whatever it is, reflect on what intention you might want to bring to that activity. Not just the basic intention of getting it done or figuring something out or, or, or doing the thing, the, the ostensible purpose of the task. But how might you want to show up for that? It connects you with your deeper aspiration. You know, even as simple, something as simple as driving home tonight. What is your, what is your, I mean, this is something you have to do. Or riding home if you're not driving, if you're a passenger. You know, what is your intention there? Every action that we take is connected with some intention. And if we don't consciously reflect on our intentions or bring mindfulness to this area, our intentions are likely to be shaped by our habits. Our intentions are likely to be shaped by our, our tiredness or our frustration or our desire to get home quickly or whatever it is. And so... This is a simple way, when we remember, and remembering is not always easy, I grant you, but when we remember to reflect on this kind of intention, it can completely change our relationship to our everyday activities. And so, driving home, might the intention be kindness to the sangha of drivers, 
on the road. It's a community there. When we think of ourselves as independent, but we are all actually, when I, when I reflect on this, it's kind of amazing that we mostly manage to, you know, all get down the freeway safely. Doesn't always happen, but, but mostly we do. And mostly we do it, unfortunately, with the idea of doing it, you know, get, going to get somewhere or, or to, to, you know, to accomplish something, as opposed to thinking about how might we participate in that activity of community driving, because it's a community activity, with kindness, with friendliness, with care. This kind of reflection, at least I've found in my life, when I bring this kind of reflection to simple activities, it sure makes my life more meaningful. There's a deeper purpose or deeper connection there that connects to my wish to not contribute greed and aversion to the world as much as I can. To, to be a force for kindness, for compassion in the world. Simple ways in our everyday activities, this can be, this can be how we engage. And so reflecting on your activities and maybe taking some time to think, well, how do I want to show up for that one? If you, if you do that, you know, even take five minutes in the morning to think through, okay, these are the things I'm going to do, these big picture things. How do I want to show up for that? That may uh, create the conditions for a new way of being, a new way to, to show up. And so this brings uh, into our minds sometimes the, that we can frame, begin to frame our everyday activities to connect with a purpose that's related to the Dharma. The Buddha actually talked about this. He, um, he, he said to his, his, his monks one day, they were, you know, he, he was talking about inclining the mind towards giving, towards generosity in everyday activities. And he said, even if one throws away the rinsings of a pot or a cup into a village pool or pond, wishing that the living beings there may live on them, even this would be a source of merit. Pointing to, you know, it's like this is an everyday activity. You, you might do it without thinking, rinsing out this pot and throwing it on the ground. And he points to that everyday activity could be connected with an intention of wishing that the beings who, you know, the little the, the insects, the worms, might have some sustenance from that. That's a source of connecting to giving of orienting the heart towards generosity. And so there's a lot of ways in which we might look at this in our everyday interactions with people. So much of our interactions with people can be framed through generosity. One time I was having dinner with uh, some 
fellow Dharma teachers. Um, and uh, one of my um, colleagues, as we were paying the bill for the dinner, said, have you ever thought about the fact that we're paying for this meal is a kind of a source of generosity because we're providing livelihood for this, these, the people who work in the restaurant. I, and I thought, wow, no, I hadn't thought of that. I purely thought of, thought of it as a transaction. And it's not just about, I mean, obviously when I think about offering a tip to a server, I think about the generosity aspect of it, but also just the, the transactions of, you know, buying things. It's like there's, we're, we're so removed through our financial systems. We're removed from a direct connection with offering and supporting each other. And yet we can reflect on this. We can reflect on this, uh, this, this connection as being one of supporting each other. This kind of came home to me at one point. I don't, re- I don't remember how it, how it happened, but I was walking through the grocery store. I have lots of Dharma stories in grocery stores. <laughs> I was walking in the grocery store and I was looking around at all of the stuff. You know, the milk and the, the yogurt and the cheese and the, I was in the dairy aisle. <laughs> and I was thinking, wow, you know, something in my mind just kind of opened to the amount of work it took to get all of that food to the store. You know, people who, you know, made the cheese and packaged the cheese and, and put it on trucks and the people who drove the trucks and the people who unloaded the trucks and the people who put it in the, on the shelves. It's like my mind just kind of exploded with the recognition of how many people it took to put this these items on the shelf, so that I could go to the store and buy food. I was like, wow, the whole world is supporting me. It was a feeling of being the recipient of generosity. So much gratitude there. And so we can, again, begin to look at our everyday interactions and exchanges through a different lens, through a Dharma perspective. So I've primarily explored, you know, so, so in looking at um, kind of exploring this connection between a deeper aspiration, a deeper sense of where you feel drawn or called in your life, and that may be so different for each of you. And then, and yet the Buddha pointed to some simple intentions that kind of underlie a Dharma path which I've, I've talked about, kindness and compassion particularly. A third one he talked about is perhaps a little more challenging for us, but I'll take a little bit of time to talk about it, and that's the intention of renunciation. Renunciation has a bad reputation in our culture, I think. Actually, not just in our culture. At the time of the Buddha, I'm going to read you a story. Um, a householder at the time of the Buddha came to, uh, came to Ananda and spoke to Ananda. And what he said to Ananda was this. Venerable sir, 
We are householders who indulge in sensuality, delight in sensuality, enjoy sensuality, rejoice in sensuality. For us, renunciation seems like a sheer drop-off. Yet I've heard that in this doctrine, in this dharma, the hearts of the very young monks leap up at renunciation, grow confident, steadfast, and firm, seeing it as peace. And so right here is where this doctrine, this dharma, is contrary to the great mass of people. That is this issue of renunciation. And Ananda um, said, let's go tell this to the Buddha. And the Buddha, in hearing this, they go to the Buddha and say, this is, this is what the householder has said. And the Buddha said, so it is. So it is. Even I myself, before my awakening, when I was still an unawakened bodhisattva, thought, renunciation is good. Seclusion is good. But my heart didn't leap up at renunciation didn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace. And yet the Buddha's mind didn't go to, I guess I won't go there. He began to reflect. He said, the thought occurred to me, what is the cause? Why doesn't my heart leap up at renunciation, grow confident, steadfast, or firm? Then the thought occurred to me, I haven't seen the drawback of sensual pleasure, and I haven't understood the reward of renunciation. That's why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation, doesn't grow confident, steadfast, and firm. Then the sutta goes on to say something like, at a later time, the Buddha's heart grew confident and steadfast in renunciation. And so that phrase, at a later time, I like that phrase because it points to the process nature of working with this teaching. You know, it's not, it's not an easy thing. I mean, even, even the Buddha in his exploration of renunciation, it wasn't, a, you know, just an immediate thing. Like, yeah, this is good. I mean, he said he, he could see that it was beneficial. Seclusion would be beneficial to his mind, but some part of him resisted that. And so he spent some time reflecting on it. And so this, this is what we're asked to do around renunciation. And uh, the Buddha encourages us to explore understanding. Understanding sense desire. We are conditioned through our culture so much to believe that happiness comes from acting on sense desire. This is really deeply conditioned. It's not just our culture. It's actually kind of the way our our organisms put together. In a way, it's like our organisms put together to find the fastest way to a hit of, of feeling okay. And so, you know, I'm hungry, I get food. That's what I want. So we, we're kind of put together to try to find uh, you know, the, the fastest movement towards, towards pleasure. And that desire is kind of the motivating force that, that underlies that. And so we're conditioned to believe this because partly, partly we're conditioned to believe this because that has been the main way we have found happiness in our lives, by acting on that desire. And so uh, sense desire is 
one of the main ways that we have actually found even moments of, of what we would call happiness in our lives. And when we're motivated by that sense desire, when sense desire is at work, sense desire can't fathom any other way to happiness. And so I, I will propose to you that sense desire is fairly short-sighted. There are other ways to happiness, more profound kinds of happiness than a, a moment of getting what we want. Actually, this pattern of desire is a pattern of get what I want. And the Buddha encourages us actually to look at, in terms of understanding how sense desire works and how sense pleasure functions in our lives, to recognize that, yes, there is a form of happiness that comes when we get something that we want. He doesn't deny that. He said, yes, it's a form of happiness. But he says, check it out. How long does that happiness last? And you'll find most of the time (laughs) when we get something that we want, the happiness of that is pretty fleeting. What is the nature of that happiness too? That's another thing that's useful to look at. Some of it is the getting the thing that we want. Some of it is that we have, we we become associated with something that we, we like or that another way that desire works is to get rid of things that we don't like. You know, so we, association with things we like, dissociations from, thing, from things we don't like, those create a sense of, ah, oh, figured it out, I'm in control, got this, got this moment of pleasure, got rid of this moment of displeasure. There's, there's some happiness to having pleasure and getting rid of, of, of displeasure. There's some happiness there. So that's part of how Um, this sense-desire functions and sense-pleasure functions, the happiness that comes when we get something that we want. But another big piece of the pleasure that comes from when we get something that we want is a piece that is not so obvious. And that is that as soon as we want something, as soon as desire springs up, as soon as that happens... There's a feeling of lack. Inherently, wanting has a feeling of offness. Something feels wrong. I don't have this thing that I want. I, I'm, I, I don't have this situation that I want. And so there's an offness there in the wanting itself. But that offness is often masked by our thoughts of how great it's going to be when I get that thing or get rid of that thing or have that person admire me or get that um, job or whatever it is. You know, we, our, our minds are projecting into the future about how great it's going to be to have that thing. And so we actually miss the feeling of offness that comes, that's inherent with this desire itself. Now, in, in terms of this exploration of sense pleasure and sense desire, the Buddha did not say to push away sense pleasure. He said, it's the sense desire. Abandoning sense desire is, the, is a key to a deeper kind of happiness, a happiness that... that uh, 
connects us more with our deeper intentions, our deeper aspirations, rather than getting and getting rid of. Rather than intentions of greed and aversion, a deeper level of connection with with life. And so with that, um, you know, as we begin to explore the process of how desire works, we start to see that desire itself, if we, if we uh, recognize this kind of idea of having something uh, in the future is just an idea, and, and begin to look at the feeling of desire itself, we begin to recognize that desire actually doesn't feel very good. It hurts. And yet we are beholden to that because we think there's no other way to get that moment of pleasure, that moment of happiness in the future. And yet what one of the big reasons why there's a moment of happiness or why happiness happens when we get something that we want is not only because we've gotten the thing that we've wanted or gotten rid of the thing that we didn't want, but it's because for a moment that wanting goes away. For a moment, we are not caught by that sense of being, you know, pulled out of ourselves. For a moment, the desire goes away. As you start to explore this, I will propose to you that the larger part of the happiness is that wanting going away. And so this begins to point to a deeper kind of happiness that's possible. That as wanting, if, if you can be curious about wanting, exploring the wanting, not to push away sense pleasure, but to explore that kind of tumbling forward to try to grasp after sense pleasure. You can explore the wanting and just from time to time explore what it might mean to not act on a simple wanting. Just see what happens if you don't act on some simple wanting. And see what happens when that wanting goes away. When I've actually witnessed that wanting go away, it's felt like being released from a vice grip. And that began began to point me to a different kind of happiness. A happiness that isn't reliant on getting things or getting rid of things, but that is related to release. It's related to ease and peace. And this allows us then to more connect to, if we're not continually trying to find our way through the world to, to have and compete and to get, get things and to get rid of things, if, that's, if that, that, that way of, of being in the world is the way we are mostly engaged, that way of being in the world ultimately leads to wars and conflict because the material goods of the world that we so want to have, they're limited. And yet the happiness that can come from being connected to kindness, to compassion, to letting go, that can bring a completely different kind of connectedness, a different kind of relationship that 
has, has more of a meaning, a feeling of meaningful connection to our lives, to the world. Close with one um, piece from a teacher that I found this very inspiring. I heard this a number of years ago from Mark Coleman. He said, in our usual state, with this kind of craving of wanting things over and over again, you know, we are renouncing freedom. So what is it that we want to renounce? So, thank you for your attention.